0: Namo at Bhagavato hatto, some mas and put Bhagavato The Samma it has, So we gave, uh, quite a while ago, we gave the title for this day long, Sustaining the Practice. And uh, as I sit here this morning, I, I kind of reflecting on those words, sustaining the practice. And In, in one way, it's, it's very, very important, because without that energy and intention to keep sustaining our practice, then, you know, it goes on for a little while and it fizzles out. We like the honeymoon for period, and we're not really interested to stay at the kitchen sink for very long. So it's very important. But when I look at the the path mm-hmm. as it unfolds, I suppose I've been practicing, you know, quite a while now. Um, sustaining, the words sustaining the practice, they feel a little bit too clean. It sounds all very nice, you know. Okay, I start practicing and then I kind of sustain it and I, I keep this really nice even level and I, develop the meditation and practice every day and it gets more peaceful. It kind of gives that impression. And my experience isn't like that at all. That it's much more of a bumpy ride and that there are times when it's, uh, when the mind is really inclined towards the practice. There's a real hunger for times of meditation and and study and deepening. And then there's times when everything else seems more important and more interesting than uh, sitting with what's arising in the body and mind. So I think uh, I'd like to think of it more as like I'd like to call it the noble endeavor rather than sustaining the practice because it's it takes a certain nobility to keep on meeting the challenges that arise in a human life. And uh, and also just to give the the context I think you know, I think each of us who are here is that there's an interest in the practice and in a varying degrees of weeks years, decades that people have dedicated to the practice and uh, I think one of the really important things is to look at what what started us off you know what why did we come to this in the first place? what was it in our lives that that was missing that uh, drew us to start this Practice of inquiry and investigation and understanding and unraveling, which is the path of awakening. And what is it that's kept us going that we're that we're still here now today? So somehow, when I think of the words sustaining the practice, it sort of has it doesn't quite give the the meaning, the context of what this all of this is going on within or the context of the intention within which the practice can be held. So we can, you know, we can, I guess people do you know, pick up the practice for different reasons. And you know, for some people it might be, it's, it's a nice thing to do. It keeps me kind of balanced. And if I meditate once a week, you know, I work more efficiently and my relationships are better and it's nice. It can be like that, or it can be a very deep recognition of the the limitations of this sense world that we find through uh, having tried again and again to to get lasting satisfaction from it in various ways and then realizing oh you know however hard we try it just doesn't last so for me that was really a deep motivation to, to come to the practice this sense of the endless search for satisfaction within the sense world and the the continuous sense of, like, it's just not really meeting that place. It's not meeting that place within me that's, that's hungry for satisfaction. And so... You know, we look in in every possible way, and then and then it's like, okay, it's just it's not it's not really going to give it to me. At some point, we realize you know, the world cannot give me what I'm looking for. It is inherently changing. It's uh, you know, relationships come and go. They they they're also changing all the time. We are we arise in in relationship to our environment and the people who are with us and our conditioning. This is kind of how it is so so then that this this search for maybe not for exactly for satisfaction but for calming the thirst for quenching the thirst that's constantly driving this body and mind to to another experience and another sense experience another taste another thought another you know, connection, whatever it might be, that, that, to to remember that it's about turning back to where that kind of first begins, and seeing how can that be calmed, how can that be quenched, how can that be relieved, because constantly trying to fill it with experience just doesn't really work. Even though we, you know, on we go doing that, we carry on doing that, but you know, to can just see more and more how that isn't really going to make it happen. So, you know, looking at what what is the core intention behind our practice. And it might be different for different people in the room here. And it might be just like, I think it keeps a good sense of health and balance. And that's a good thing. It might be, you know... Seeking full liberation, and that's a good thing. So, you know, just to to kind of connect again, i just sort of inviting you really to remember what brought you onto this path and to connect again with that intention that you had at the beginning. And that can be like a really good support as you carry on in your practice because, uh, you know, often it's very clear in the beginning and there's a lot of energy with it. And we throw ourselves into the practice, and it's and it's fruitful. And then over time, it gets a little bit kind of samey, a bit like on a plateau. And, you know, we still do it because we kind of remember somewhere in the back of our mind, it's a good thing to do, it's better to do it than not do it. And, and in a way, we can't really leave the path, the spiritual path, once we've started it. We can't go very far. But we can kind of take detours and distract ourselves and... As Ajahn Chah called it, picking berries along the way. You know, you, pick, you see all these lovely berries. Oh, there's a few of those. Oh, they are nice. And then it kind of t- it takes you a really long time to get to where you want to go to. So, so it's important to refresh ourselves and to remember, like, why, why am I doing this? You know, what is this for? Is it just about trying to become a better person? Because if, we're, if that is a motivation of the practice, we might... Uh, Find ourselves quite challenged because um, in the in the process of unraveling the conditioning, we can meet some quite uh, scary or unsavoury or unwelcome parts of ourselves, or scared, scary or scared. So you know this all has to belong. It all has to be included. We have to be able to recognise that there's nothing wrong. When this comes up in our practice, but this is this is what needs to be welcomed now and investigated now. And uh, you know, if we if we if we're intent on on developing calm and becoming a nice person, we can miss the very important work of allowing this conditioning into consciousness and. And unraveling, letting it starting to let it unravel. And this is I feel this is a really vital part of the path. There's a you know we can we can kind of you know, you've probably heard about spiritual bypassing. We can kind of bypass it, be a very spiritual person and be quite impressive, but we're not actually doing the work, the the deep work. So, so when I look at Sustaining the practice or this noble endeavour then you know that's that's a really really important part of it and, and not to get discouraged when those challenging aspects come up so for me one of the things I try to remember again and again and I have to remind myself again and again is that the practice is with this it's with this condition that's arising now it's so easy to, to think like Okay, I'll practice later on tonight. I'm going to practice because then I have some time to myself so I can practice. Or I'll practice when I go on retreat in the fall. You know, but, I, but I'm not practicing now because there's too many things going on. There's too much work. I'm too challenged in my relationships. It's too busy. So I'm, I'm going to do my practice later on, and, and that's really good. But actually, we need to practice now. It's always now, it's always with this. And sometimes this is exactly what we don't want to practice with. <laughs> you know, sometimes this, what's happening in the moment, is, is just what we want to get away from. And we wish that would go away so that we could get on with our practice and be a nice person again. And, uh, and so we we miss that opportunity. So it's like an encouragement, really, that that whatever's going on in our life, however uplifting, inspiring, or or, um, mediocre, or challenging, or frustrating, that this is exactly what we need to meet at this moment. And uh, reminding, you know, having to remind ourselves, turn towards this, investigate it. I feel investigation is a very, very important part of sustaining the practice, and I think in my early years I didn't do a lot of investigation. But over time I see, like, you know, if you don't investigate, then there's always this duality of moving, moving away from one situation to to be in a different situation. That's kind of always always comes up if you don't investigate, if you don't have an interest in what's going on. So uh, Dhamma Vichaya, investigation of Dhammas or investigation of states, so that can be states of mind, states of, of awareness, states of body and mind um, and, and conditions that are going on. This is one of the enlightenment factors, one of the factors, seven factors of enlightenment. So it's a, there are only seven, and that's like number two: sati, mindfulness number one. So it's a really, really important investigation of what is going on here and now. So it, that can be nice when we're in a, in a pleasant state in a meditation, but it can be really difficult when uh, you know, we're being challenged or we're, we're worried about something that's going to happen. But, this, but that, exactly what's going on, is, is perfect for the practice. It's, perfect, it's the perfect situation, always, to turn their attention and investigate what's going on. And one of the things we often do is, because we set up this idea of how the practice should be and how our practice should be and how we should be, and then generally we don't kind of quite manage to get up there or even maybe maybe we a little bit, sometimes we touch it and then we fall again or maybe we never even get anywhere near our ideal. And So then we're continuously berating ourselves that we're not <coughs> practicing well, and not doing it right. I think it's very, very common that people do this that they, they create an idea of how it should be, and then they don't meet that, and then they criticise themselves for not meeting it. So when I look at that, I think, well, that's, what kind of motivation for the practice is that? It's just like, that doesn't inspire me to want to rise up to the practice, it's like that thing that I do that I always tell myself off about, you know, that I'm never good enough at. So uh, I would say instead of doing that, because that's not very productive, to recognise the moments when you're mindful, when there is awareness, and don't worry too much what the awareness is about, or I'm sorry, what the awareness is of, what, you, what, the, what the object is of awareness is, let me say that again, don't worry too much what the object of awareness is, because if the object of awareness is feeling really angry, that's good. Know it. Know it. Know how it feels. Know how it moves in your body. Know the compulsion to act on it. Speak from it. Keep breathing through it. So that's not, uh, oh, I'm a really angry person. But that's awareness of anger arising. It It has a history and it has a trigger in the moment and there's a choice whether to act on it or not act on it when there's awareness. So to notice those times when awareness is present, and to notice the times when we restrain ourselves from doing harmful things to ourselves or others, and notice the times when we make a step extra to do something good for ourselves or for others, and to bring that to mind. So and then to encourage yourself at the times when, when that happens. So even if you're very lost and uh, you're about to do something really, really stupid or, or harmful and then you catch yourself, oh, what am I doing? You know, Just see how quickly the berating mind, the judging mind comes in and instead of following that, just recognise mindfulness, awareness. This is, a, this is a good moment. This is a wonderful moment. I've, I've, I've come, become aware of that old compulsion. And then there's a choice. So I think to really look for opportunities to encourage yourself in the practice and, and see what you're doing well. It's not even that you're doing anything, actually. It's, it's, it's awareness is present. <coughs> and then another kind of interesting practice is to... Uh, it's to be aware of the of the mind states, of the thoughts, let's call it the thoughts. So noticing when a thought is a wholesome thought and when a thought is an unwholesome thought. You know, we all have loads of thoughts rushing through our mind every day and there's a whole mixture of things going on there. So just to see if you can catch sometimes what the thought is and what the motivation of the thought is. and start to see wholesome thoughts. Oh, that's a wholesome thought, you know. Let's go. Wholesome thought will lead to wholesome action. Well, that's an unwholesome thought. It's um, it's basically following one of the three poisons of of greed or hatred or delusion. And and this is is apparently a practice that the Buddha used shortly before his enlightenment. It's it's like his mind started to notice wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts. So who knows how many uh, years or lifetimes of practice he'd done with that before that moment, just before enlightenment. But then his mind just naturally went to that place where there was a recognition of, oh, that's an unwholesome thought. Oh, that's a wholesome thought. Oh, that's unwholesome. That's wholesome. That's wholesome. And then just seeing the difference between those two, and none of them were self. None of them were, I've just had an unwholesome thought, I'm a really bad person, or I just had a really wholesome thought, aren't I great? Just knowing what's wholesome and was unwholesome So I yeah, think it's also a very interesting practice. It's not. It's kind of you know. It's, it's not that easy either because thought is so fast, but it's very uh, beneficial because you know, as you know, from thought comes speech and, and, and action, and uh, uh, it's it's, uh, it's it's much uh, less. Complex to catch the unwholesome thought before it comes out of your mouth than it is to try and sort out the mess that happens once it's already out. So, so it's a very beneficial practice. And I don't know how people here relate to this, but for me also one of the really important moments in in my early practice was was. Uh, the first time that I ever bowed so I know that bowing can be a little controversial in the West but the first time I ever bowed I, when I first came across the monastic sangha, I actually had a, a, a friend who had who been in Thailand and, and had a big shrine and would bow to his shrine and when I first saw it I was so horrified why are you doing that that's such a terrible thing <laughs> stand up, you know, be strong in yourself I was really horrified and, and then uh, going to the monastery and seeing everybody bowing When uh, I I wouldn't do it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And this sense of like, I'm me, you know. I'm an individual. I'm not going to bow to anybody. I'm not going to bow to any images. I'm I'm an independent, strong individual person. And that's and I'm not going to do that. And then waiting. And then at one point, when everybody was out, there was nobody in the in the shrine room, and and I just thought, I wonder what. It's like though. <laughs> so when I was looking, I just bowed to the shrine, and as I bowed, I just had this enormous experience of relief because there's this sense of like, I don't have to do this on my own. There's something much bigger. There's something much bigger that I can bow to. So I think of that as the Dhamma, actually, the the, the truth of the way things are, and and what a what a, a lot of energy it took to be somebody holding it together, you know, doing my practice, that I'm not going to be pulled off track by anybody, and to just surrender. What an enormous relief it was to have that sense of the the bigger picture. So I don't know how that relates to your practice, and it might be a physical bowing, or it might be a bowing in the heart to something that's greater than me and my practice. And then the, you know, I mean, I must say, in my life. I feel very blessed to to have always had others around who are also interested in the, in the Dhamma. You know, and, and uh, in this world that that so is so much going in the opposite direction. It's you know, everything from the moment we're born is telling us the opposite to the to the truth of the way things are. It's telling us that we are a person. Things are permanent. We can get lasting satisfaction from. You know, whatever. It's this. It's constantly telling, and we we can become if we just strive. We can become the person we want to be. All of this, all these lies. Actually, it's lies. All of it, and we're told that right from the day we're born. And even we kind of know it. You know, and then we can maybe sit here in the in the meditation hall, and we can remember that again. And then we go outside, and we see the billboards and the and the stores and all of the things that's telling us that message again. So. So just how really precious it is to have others who who have a shared understanding of of the truth of the way things are, who can come together and and just meet in that place of, of like, yeah, you know, it is really crazy out there, you know, it is a crazy world. And, and, you know, I'm not completely free of it yet. And there's also an understanding of something much greater. So that's a, a very, very precious, I feel, a very precious and important part of sustaining our practice is to you know, remind each other, meet together, remind each other of the truth. Because it's not being shouted from the rooftops out there. And then there's the, like, the effort that we need to put in. So, uh, like I say, uh, and as teacher also mentioning in the beginning, there could be this sense of like the, the honeymoon you know where it 's just really inspiring and wonderful, and we don 't want to do anything else and then the, and then it starts to get harder. we start to meet parts of ourselves that we hadn 't planned on meeting, and maybe life comes and gives us a few big challenges that happens from time to time. <laughs> and uh, things we didn't expect and then we're kind of knocked sideways, you know, and then we're like, well, oh, hang on, where does the practice fit in here? But it always does. This is the beauty of it. It always fits perfectly with what's going on right now. So, you know, we can get discouraged, you know, we think we're not getting anywhere and, um, it's all too difficult. Life's too challenging. And then we, if we, if we keep feeling those thoughts, you know, like that, that becomes a reality. So we have to be careful with that one. And and there can be inertia. You know, it's like, I really want to get up and meditate, but I just think I'll just roll over last <laughs> half an hour. And then the day goes by, and it's like, oh, there's no time. There's no time. There's no time. But maybe tonight, when I get home, and get home. So tired I just want to turn the TV on and you know just kind of recognizing that how how the mind gets into that that kind of uh, it's like staying on a certain surface level and it's uh, it can be difficult to to break that that's why it's good to have day longs like this because it can that can become a kind of an inert you know, like just like rolling along with the same old thing day after day with somewhere in the back of your mind that intention but not really kind of quite getting down to it. So to, to find ways to cut that, like coming here today, going on a longer retreat, or just, you know, you can come to the Bihara also, come for an evening to the Bihara or a Saturday afternoon. Some, something like join with somebody else who's, who's sitting and who's not going to move before 45 minutes or an hour, so you're just stuck there, you know. So it's like, you know, making yourself pick it up again. And, and you know, we do that because we know it's so valuable. Not because it, I'm a good person if I meditate. So uh, for me it's like the most precious thing I ever discovered in my life was, was meditation practice. Life transforming. And uh, I, I hate to think what a, a crazy, confused, probably not even alive now person I would be <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't come across that. So, uh, and yet, you know, they, there's all of these other things that pull our attention. So, just to like refresh that uh, that breadth of view, that 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 bigger picture, that that recognizes, yes, you know, I'm in the middle. Of, I live in San Francisco. I'm in the middle of all of this, you know, stimulating, inspiring, wonderful, or uninspiring, or you know, all of these the stimuli that we're in the middle of, and. There is this bigger picture. There is the potential for each being in this room to awaken, and actually each being out there too. And you know we can move towards that in whatever ways we can. And I think another, another thing that we often miss is, is all of the good that we're already doing. So we can think that the practice is just like sitting on my cushion and meditating. And then we don't recognise that, while actually at work, you know, constantly serving people who are really challenged and maybe not getting a lot of pay for it and, you know, really meeting, being present, meeting people, receiving their difficulties and frustrations, you know, maybe that's happening. Or even just in your family life or work life, you know, we can very easily miss the, the wholesome ways we're relating. So to to make, you know, like bring it all into the picture. The practice is not just sitting up on the cushion. It's an important part of the practice, but it's, it's much bigger than that. It's the eightfold path. It's the whole of one's life. All of it, from, from, a, from an intention, you know, down to the way we, we make a living. And what we do as we sit in meditation is all is all part of the path. So to kind of take all of that in and, and uh, let it encourage you and if, if when you take it all in and you look and you think oh, you know it actually doesn't really add up. then maybe you need to make some changes because this life is very precious. this opportunity is very precious and everybody here has, has come across the, the teachings. So that's an amazing thing in this world at this time. That's an incredible like a treasure that you found. so if if when you kind of assess you know how your life is and, and that somewhere in the corner there's a little tiny moment for that to give attention to that treasure, maybe you need to reassess a little bit, put it more central. And one more thing, just the last thing that I find helpful is, is to, you know, like we encourage to recollect the Triple Gem the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So the Buddha is one who awakened, the human being who fully awakened. The Dharma, the truth of the way things are that can be met in every moment, as I've, I've been speaking about. And then the Sangha. And the Sangha, there's different ways of interpreting it. So there's the Sangha, like I've spoken about, we help each other. And there's also the the sangha, as it's usually intended in that in the, in the triple refuge, is the sangha of those who have awakened or have or, or are on the path to awakening, past and present. So, to, if there's anybody you can think of, I think the Dalai Lama is somebody that probably everybody knows. I, mean, I would say is definitely on that path, if not already fully awakened. He says he's not. That uh, you know, think of of people that you've that you know of, or maybe you've seen or met, or even read about, who either have fully awakened or are on that path of awakening. And that to me is a real, uh, like a, a an uplift and a reminder that yeah, this is possible. This isn't just some kind of uh, theory, or it's not just like we, we meditate, but we, of course nobody's ever going to get enlightened, you know. It's not that we we meditate just to get, you know, calm or whatever, but there's no possibility for enlightenment. There is. It's our natural state and it's about finding our way back to that.